You're listening to the CIT Podcast. If you'd like to know more about CIT or like to donate to this ministry, you can find us online at churchintoronto.com, Instagram, or Facebook. We hope you enjoy this episode, and we'd love to see you at church this Sunday. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, my name is Ian. For those of you who may not uh, know me, uh, we're still in our series in Philippians. Uh, the title of the whole series is A, a Life Worth Living. Um, before we jump into the actual verses and stuff, I'm going to ask our reader to come up and introduce herself and to read those verses for us. Good morning, church. My name is Onyeka. Um, I'm sure you must have seen me around. Um, Onyeka, Onyeka Chuku, that's the full name, meaning the full name, and it means who is greater than God. Um, this is my family, my parents, my brothers and my sisters, and their children. Um, I moved to Canada four years ago, and in 2019, God directed me to CIT through Google. And um, since I came, I've been extremely blessed by my home group that has now become my family, um, my friends. I'm thankful for all the people that I've met in this church, and I'm most grateful for a church that welcomes people from every tongue and every tribe. Um, I'm reading today from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 6 to 11. Um, Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in the heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. This morning our title is God Put His Name on It. If you think about the verses that Onyeka just mentioned or just read for us, we, 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 re, we, we heard that God highly exalted Christ, put his name on Christ. And we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning about God putting his name on him and all that he did. Let's think about it from, uh, from our perspective um, in terms of putting our name on something. It matters. We don't just put our name on anything. We are careful of what we put our name on. Think about an accomplished person. Think about a well-known company. They're very careful what they attach their name to because their reputation is on the line. If they put their name on something and it turns out not to, 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 to not be that good, it... it it reflects somewhat on them. But when those well-known people or companies do put their name on something, wow, then you really feel confident. 
You think, okay, I can, I can trust that. Let's, let's, let's think about it when, when, um, just from our everyday lives. If you are a professional, um, let's say you're a professional engineer or you are an architect or you are a doctor or you are an electrician, um, your name on something really matters. So if you get an engineering report that does not have the engineer's signature on it, you should be worried. Am I right, Josh? You're, the en- you're an engineer? If, if, if I get architectural drawings and there's no signature on it, I should be concerned. I should be looking for something like this, an engineer's stamp or his, appro- his or her approval. And the same with a doctor's prescription. I need that signature. As ineligible as doctors do tend to write, I need that because it says, that's what I need. His or her name is on it and it matters. It gives me confidence and trust as I, as I go forward. Think about uh, another, another area, artists. Artists who put their signature on something. It means it's mine. It's something that I did. Now, of course, you always get artists who don't want to put their name on things. That's, that's totally fine as well. But typically, you get people, artists, they put their name on something to let you know, I did that. Not in a boastful way, but just so that you, you can know. And think about products. Okay, here's a well-known logo, Apple. If that logo is on something... You know that that product has, has come up to a certain standard. They're not going to put that logo on just about anything. The product meets their high standards and is approved by them. And it must be good then in our eyes because we're like, okay, if Apple approves it, if Apple says yes, okay, I'm going to buy it because I know this thing is going to last. And so that name, that name increases our trust and increases our confidence. Professor Tim Gombis had a very interesting thing to say about these particular verses that we're in right now. He said, God responded to Jesus' life by labeling it with his own name. How about that? God is responding to what Jesus did, all of what he did. How is he responding? By putting his name on it, indicating that the life of Jesus faithfully and fully revealed the character of God. So he is saying, I 1,000% approve of what Jesus did. But even more than just that, all he did, all that Jesus did, think, think, think about it. It's, it's, it's the way Jesus responded to people, the feelings Jesus had, the love he had, the righteousness he demonstrated, the compassion, the calming of the seas, the healing of the sick. God is saying, I 1,000% approve of all of those things because it was me. 
who was doing it. I'm putting my name on all of what he did. So therefore, he put his name on him. So we're coming to these verses. I mean, if you could just bring them up for us again. We start in this way. Therefore, God. Actually, sorry, go to, just go to verse 9 for me. That would be great. It starts in this way. Therefore, God. And so again, we see God is responding. When you see it, therefore, something came before it. The therefore is pointing back to something. And it's also saying something is coming afterwards. There's a response here. So therefore, God. Iman, could you uh, bring up the, um, the pattern for us? We've been looking at this now for a number of weeks. We've talked about the left side, which is the humiliation of Jesus. He's a- existing in the form of God, and he takes on the human nature. We call this humiliation. So The word there is incarnation, but he becomes a human being. He takes on the human nature, the same nature that you and I have. And not only that, we we see that he, as Del was showing us last week, he lives a life of obedience. Even to the point where he would go to the cross and die. That's how far his obedience went. That's the left side of this diagram. But now we come to the kind of turning point. Now we're going to start to see, okay, how is, what's going to happen now? We know that he was crucified. The question is now, now what? And that's why these, these words, therefore God, are really important. We might just skip right over them. But don't. Therefore, God is signaling that a dramatic turn is about to take place. And that's that entire right-hand side, which we're going to start to look at this morning. So therefore, is talking about a conclusion. Christ did all of that, and now God is going to respond. And, okay. As I was considering these verses, I realized, okay, you can kind of look at these cerebrally, and of course, you know, we'll we'll do that over the next little while, but also I think you have to get into the feeling of God. You know, it's not like God is just saying, oh, that was so good. My son did such a good job, don't you think? Yeah, he, he wasn't willing to just you know, remain with me in the heavens. He was willing to become, yeah, he's, I'm impressed. I'm, I think there's a lot of feeling that goes on, goes on here. It's kind of like, he, I think God is quite excited by the fact that his son has done all this and now God gets to respond. Okay, let me, let me, let me put it to you this way. Um, how many of you know someone who really, really likes a sports team? If you know me, then you should have your hand up, but that's Okay. And do you know people also who don't like sports at all? It doesn't mean, that's not your confession, it's okay. But but you know what I'm saying. Okay, now put those two people in a room and the sport or the team that that person who really loves sports is playing and they score a goal. How do you think that person is going to respond? Wow, that's really good. Not a chance. 
There's excitement. Okay, some of you know Solomon. He was up here last week uh, talking. He says he's a football, uh, football fan. And he happened to be over at our house a while ago. And my granddaughters were there. And they know Solomon. You know, he's a pretty... He's an excitable guy, but he's pretty mild-mannered at the best of times. And, and so he was watching his team. Manchester United is his team. And Manchester United scored. How do you think Solomon responded? Well, you all know Solomon, right? He gets excited just hosting church. If his team <laughs> scores, what do you think he's going to do? That was good. No! My granddaughters almost jumped out of their skin. He just exploded. And I won't tell you what he said. It, was, it wasn't rude or anything. It just, you wouldn't quite understand it because it's just the way that English people or British people tend to respond to their team when they, when they score. And, but my granddaughters, they're just sitting there. They have no clue what's going on. They're like, what? Okay, my point is this. When, God, when, it, when the Bible says, therefore God, the therefore God is like Solomon exploding when his team scores. Jesus has done all of this with God, for God, and for you and I, and God is so happy, so excited about the whole thing. And so this, therefore, God is a natural outcome because God the Father has seen God the Son do what he was sent to do. And because he's totally invested, he completely and utterly approves of what Jesus has done. Um, it says, therefore, God, and what's so interesting about this pattern um, Iman, could you bring up the, the pattern one more time for us? Everything on the left side is all about Jesus. He's the focus. He's the one who's taking all the actions and doing everything. He's the one who humbled himself and all those kinds of things. But from the turning point, God now becomes the focus because it's God's response to what Jesus has done. As I say, it's that dramatic upward turn. So God is the focus and Christ is the one who's now the receiver of all that God is doing. And the question then becomes, what did God do? And we've talked about it already. God approved, or another word is God vindicated all that Jesus has done or had done. And you know, as I was going through these verses, I realized there's a, number of, there's a number of people who say God responds because Christ went to the cross. And it's not, it's not untrue. That is true. God does respond because of that. But does God only respond because he went to the cross and died for our sins to set us free from that kind of a life? I don't think so. I think there's, there's more here. God's, you know, because, like, like think about it. If, um, if it was only a matter of Jesus coming and, or God coming as a man in the person Jesus and he just needed to die for us, then why didn't he just appear? He didn't, he didn't need to go through all of the birth and the growing up and all. That, that's kind of messy. Did he really have to go through all of that? 
He could have just appeared as a mature man. He could have, you know, done a couple of miracles, wowed people, and taught, you know, taught them all kinds of different things. And he could have just gone to the cross and died. And that's why I keep emphasizing it's not just that last part. It's all of what Jesus did that God is responding to. And just like Dell shared with us last week, it's a life of obedience. It's a life of obedience that God is responding to, even to the death on a cross. And again, therefore God is responding to that whole life of obedience. And it's quite interesting. Again, Iman, could you bring up the first uh, few verses, uh, 2, 6 to 8 for me, the very first part? Notice, if you look at these verses, what doesn't happen in these is that God becomes a man and then he dies. You, under, you see what I'm saying? It, God doesn't, I mean, Jesus doesn't skip this, uh, this part and say, oh, well, this isn't important. No. It, you know, this, this hymn or these verses help us to see all that Jesus went through, his life of obedience is absolutely crucial. In fact... The value of his death is based on his whole life, not just that act that he did there. So God is assessing all that Jesus has done, all of his life, and he is responding in this way. Not only am I going to put my name on it, but he is worthy of the highest honor. And yes, we're going to continue on in verse 9. Iman, could you give me verse 9, the rest of it, please? God highly exalted him. And before I touch on what that means, I want to first set up this, what, what could be a massive contrast for you and I. Because if we've read the Gospels, if we've read the life of Jesus, we just know that there's a big difference between the way human beings responded to him and the way God responded to him. We know the way God responded to him and his life. God highly exalted him. My question is, how did human beings respond to him? I think it would be fair to say that there was a lot of despising that was going on concerning Jesus, a lot of suspicion. And people certainly would not have exalted him. They would have said things maybe behind the scenes. This man is leading people astray. He can't be trusted. And many religious people said things like, don't follow him. Even though he's casting out demons, he actually is aligned with the devil. Not only that, but be careful of this guy because he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And to eat with somebody in the, in the culture of that day meant these are my friends. These are people that I feel are worthy. And many religious people in that day would have said, not a chance are you seeing me. I can't, I, my reputation can't take a hit because I'm hanging around with the prostitutes. And yet Jesus has no problem at all. So you have this group of people 
who would, who would conspire against him, despised him, said all kinds of things against him, mocked him, ridiculed him, spit on him, insulted him, and ultimately got him crucified. And the author of this book that we have been spending a good amount of time in now, his name is Paul. And we know his life because we're reading it right here, but there's a, you know, he had, a, he had another life prior to meeting Jesus. And he would have been one of those people who despised Jesus as well. He, yes, you know, his, what would his evaluation have been? Let me show you a verse from uh, Deuteronomy 21. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and you hang him on a tree, that man is cursed by God. So Paul, in his former life as a very religious man, would have had an evaluation of Jesus. He saw him hanging on that tree. Do you think he's looking at that man hanging on the tree and saying, that man is approved by God? Not a chance. He's saying the very fact that that man is hanging on a tree shows that he's actually disproved of God. And so that gave him all the fuel that he needed. Any followers of Jesus, he would go around, he would hunt them down, and he would drag them back to Jerusalem. Some were even killed. And then one day as he was out on one of his journeys to get some of these people, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him on the road, and it was a bright light. And Paul, who at that time was called Saul, falls to the ground, and he says, Who are you, Lord? And the voice came back. And remember, the voice is coming from above. The voice came back, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And then he realized over the next days, months or so, I was wrong. I was wrong about this Jesus. And he began to see Jesus for who he really was. And that changed Saul, the religious man, into Paul, the apostle. And I wonder for you, have you ever been wrong in your evaluation of someone? Maybe it was an unfamiliar person to you, a new colleague at work, a teammate, or a neighbor who moved in, or a classmate. You treated them with suspicion. You saw them as your competition. And then over time, as you got to know them, had conversations with them, went for coffee with them, you found out, you know what? I had it all wrong. That woman is a wonderful person. That man is not the person that I thought. And I wonder, how about your evaluation of Jesus? Have you ever been wrong about your evaluation of Jesus? Is it based on a kind of a group think where it's based on your family or your friends 
or just society in general. Myself, I grew up in a non-Christian home. I had a dad who had been hurt by, uh, by Christians as he grew up. And so he saw all Christians as hypocrites. He refused to believe in God and rather decided, I will believe in extraterrestrial beings and UFOs and things like that. Because we all know, right, when we don't believe in God, we got to believe in something or someone. And yet, even though I grew up in that home and my parents sent me to Sunday school, I knew there was a big difference between what I was hearing there about Jesus and what I was hearing at home about Jesus, and it took me some time, but when I was 18, I had to evaluate uh, who Jesus really was, and that was the point in time when I became a Christian. I accepted Him as my Lord, and I also found out that my dad's evaluation of Jesus was wrong. I'm happy to say later my dad acknowledged that his evaluation of Jesus was also wrong. How about you? How about your evaluation of Jesus? Are you still holding on to some old ideas that have just been with you for a long time about who Jesus is and you know, the ones you've picked up over all the years? I think it's worthwhile evaluating this morning in light of these verses because these verses say, God highly exalted Him. And so, if I'm thinking about the way that I grew up and the way I evaluated Jesus, I would have never exalted Him. And yet, God is highly exalting him. And so we have this massive, massive contrast. In fact, the, the Greek here doesn't just say highly exalted. It says super exalted. It's not just exalted. It's like super exalted him. So then we have to ask, what, what does that look like and how should it increase our trust in Jesus? Let me show you a couple of things. Um, a couple of verses for you from, from the book of Acts. Acts 3.15 is talking about how, uh, it says, you killed the author of life. I, I love the way Peter does this because he's like, he's, he, he's acknowledging and he's putting in their face this contrast. You killed the author of life, speaking about Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. So what does the exaltation, what does the super, uh, what does the super uh, exalted look like? It's resurrection. It begins with resurrection where God raised Jesus from the dead. And so God showed us all that what Jesus did, he fully endorses, fully improves, proves, approves, sorry, and he raised him from the dead. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus is the crowning proof that God accepted all that he did, his life and his sacrifice. The next one is chapter 5, verse 31. Again, the, the contrast is there if you go back to read the, the context. God exalted him to the right hand, to his right hand. That means God has raised him to the place of honor, power, and authority. 
And finally, Acts chapter 2, verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. You see the contrast. We evaluate him one way. The Jews of that day evaluated him one way. And yet God is evaluating him in a completely different way. This is more proof that God totally approved of the life and the death of him. And so this is where we pick up this, this, this thought of Lord. God made him Lord. God made him Lord. This means, this means God is putting his name on Jesus. God is letting us know that's not just a man. That's not just a good teacher. That's not just a guy who could do all kinds of miracles. That's me. That's me. That's God. That name, Lord, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks. That name, Lord, means, that means Yahweh. That means God. That's the personal name of God. And God is saying, everything my son has done, Every, that, that, even the sacrifice at the end, all of it is me. I'm putting my name on it, and you can trust it. And so the rest of verse 9 goes this way. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, the name <laughs> that is above every name. What is that name? Lord. He already had the name Jesus as a man. So it's not the name Jesus. It's the, it's the title of the name Lord. Jesus is Lord. Well, let me show you these last couple of verses again. Because not only does God respond. I mean, could you bring up 10 and 11 for me? Not only does God respond to all that Jesus has done, you and I are also invited to respond. You and I are invited. Look at this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that, there's some key words, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're invited. We're invited to bow the knee in worship. We're invited to speak out loud or speak in our hearts, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the invitation that we have. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's, it's, it's before each one of us this morning. Where is our evaluation? Are we willing to confess that he is Lord? Or will we continue to hold to those old ideas and stories that we've heard and go with that? 
or will we go with what God has done and God's evaluation? Let me show you a couple of verses. One from Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You wonder why, you know, we talk a lot about Jesus here and we say Jesus is Lord. It's because there's no other name. There really is no other name. He was given the name that is above every name. God put his name on him. So, the question we, should, we could ask ourselves this morning is, has his name found us? Have you and I accepted the salvation that God is offering to us? Here's another verse from Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to linger on this point for a second, but first I want to just invite our musicians to come on up because we're going to respond in song this morning. And I would like to ask you, we know the way that God sees Jesus. How about you? How do you see him? Now, maybe you're here this morning, and that confession, that believing has not yet happened for you. And we're so thankful that you're here this morning. We're so thankful that you're tuning in if you're online. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? God confesses him as, as Lord, and a number of people in this room have done the same. But the invitation is there for you as well. Let me read a couple of uh, quotes for you from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, what is Jesus Christ to us? Where does he come into our scheme of things? What do we believe concerning him? Have we bowed the knee to him? Have we surrendered to him? Do we make this confession concerning him? Do we say that Jesus of Nazareth, that man who walked about the face of this earth, is Lord? The one who was set apart to bear the sins of man, including our own, do we say that it is there alone in that death that we find salvation? Do we confess that he is God and that we worship him to the glory of God the Father? That is the confession, and he continues on. The central point is that it is my personal relationship to Jesus Christ that matters. I believe on him. I bow my knee to him, the person. I make a statement about the individual. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my Lord. It is a personal relationship and a personal confession, and that is the primary thing in the whole Christian position, our relationship to him. The way we would like to end this morning is to sing a simple hymn from a number of years ago. Some of you may be familiar with it. I would just invite you just where you are. Uh, maybe listen, if, if you know it, please sing, 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 uh, join in right away. If you are unfamiliar, just listen to it and consider the words. They're very, very simple. They're right in line with what we've been talking about this morning. 
let the uh, worship team lead us, and then I'll come back up. God, 
thank you. Jesus is my Lord. It's your confession. God has sent him. He has gone to the cross to die for our sins. And now it's your opportunity to invite him to be your Savior and your Lord. I want to wonder if we could just sing this one more time, but change the word just slightly. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. He has risen from the grave, and he's my Lord. Every tongue confess. No, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. Jesus is my Lord. Yeah, good. the opportunity to say that this morning and you've responded to it I would love to have a quick conversation with you afterwards not to do anything, not to point a finger at you or have you stand up but I'd just like to at least pray for you if that is the case. Some of you may be a little bit uncomfortable with doing such a thing here that is uh, asking Jesus to be your Lord. It doesn't have to end here. We have the rest of the day, the rest of the week I pray that this song stay with you through the week use it when, when things go certain ways at home, at school at, at work just let these words refresh you but for those of you who are still holding back even tonight, even this afternoon you can make a heartfelt cry to Jesus and just say okay I wasn't ready to do it at that moment but I'm ready to do it now and I want to confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. Let's pray to close. Father God, thank you so much for your evaluation of Jesus. He really is Lord. You put your name on him, and we see the way that you evaluated him, and we just say in our heart of hearts, Jesus Christ is Lord. Pray we could not only believe that, but also live it out in our daily lives. God, we love you. We appreciate you for all that you've done for us. And we pray for those who are still struggling to accept Jesus as Lord. We pray for courage on their part. We pray for faith on their part, that they could respond to him, to respond to the life that he lived and the death that he died. God, we love you and appreciate all that you've done. We just ask this in the exalted name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the CIT podcast. Our mission is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. If you want to connect with us, you can visit us online at churchintoronto.com. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services this weekend. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God loves you.